Well, good morning, church. I think that's a, a hard thing to go after. No, I, honestly, I, I have been greatly blessed by every aspect of our, our service this morning, uh, from the singing of worship, uh, the communion, and, and obviously the, the singing of our, our children. Uh, it, is a, it is a pleasure to come and, and preach the Word of God this morning. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke. We're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And this is a, a really very familiar uh, passage that many of us know. It's a, probably a, one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. It's, a, it's a, a passage that you've probably heard preached many, many times. Uh, we know that it's read in, in churches year after year. It's, it's read in family gatherings. In fact, in my family, usually uh, the day before Christmas Eve, we always read this passage together. Um, it's a passage that you see recited in, in Christmas plays. It's, uh, you see it displayed visibly on lawns uh, in, in the manger scenes. You see it in the, in the foyers of, of churches. One other place that I want to mention, and you've probably seen this as well, is... Uh, it's in Charlie Brown's Christmas, where Linus discovers the, the true meaning of Christmas. And I actually, I, I actually enjoy that, because you, you, you see that that comes from a, a different place where you, where you really don't expect it, although I've probably seen it quite a few times by now. Now, so let's look at, at Luke chapter 2, and, and, and the focus I, I want to... Uh, us to look at this morning is, is in light of the Christmas season and, and is finding joy in the birth of our Savior, is finding joy in the birth of our Savior. So let's look, begin reading with me in chapter 2 at, at verse 1. This is the Word of God. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her, to, for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it, wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, while we know that this passage is a familiar one, Lord, we know that you can do a fresh thing in our hearts. Or that we can, we can study this passage and we can find 
good news of great joy. Or that we can, we can see you in a, in a different way and we can be renewed during this Christmas season. But not just in this Christmas season, Lord. That we can be renewed in our lives, Lord. That we would understand more fully who you are and what you have done to accomplish your purpose in saving sinners. We thank you again for, the, for the, this Christmas season, for the nativity scene. That, that Christ came into the world. That he was born of a virgin that he lived a perfect life, that he died on a cross for our sins, and that he rose from the grave. And by faith in him, we can have eternal life. Lord, we thank you that we have such a Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you a question. And the question is this, have you ever been unable to find a place in an inn? There's only one time that I can say that my family and I had a, a difficult time finding a place in an inn. We were on a vacation. This was about 12 years ago. Uh, we were traveling across the country. We had, we had uh, planned our trip. We had planned to, to go to all these national parks. We had planned to eventually end up in Missouri, where my family's from. And, and on our way, we were driving a, a across South Dakota. And, and what I had done in, in, in prep, preparing for this trip was I had... I had made reservations at every hotel that we were going to stay at except one day. And that one day, we were, we were traveling uh, across South Dakota, and I didn't know how far we were going to get. So I didn't really want to get a reservation because I thought maybe we could go farther and just get, get a reservation once we get there. And it sounded good to me, and we drove across South Dakota, and we came to, to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and I thought, no, we can, we can continue on, and so we did. We drove south uh, to... Uh, came to Sioux City, Iowa, and I thought, no, no, you know what, we can go farther, and I thought we can make it to Omaha, Nebraska, and we drove, and we came to Omaha, Nebraska, and, and as we drove into the city, uh, we noticed it was late at night, it was probably about 11 o'clock at night, and, and as we drove in the city, there were, there were people in the streets at 11 o'clock at night, and, and, and we were trying to get a hold of a, a, a hotel on the phone, and we couldn't get a hold of anybody, and we, we finally went to a hotel, and they said, oh, we don't have we don't have any vacancies. And then so we thought, well, let's go to another hotel. And we went to another hotel and we, and we went there and no, there's no vacancies. And, and we couldn't believe that. I thought, this is Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> and so we finally asked somebody, what, what is actually going on here? And what they said, it was the world, I mean, the College World Series for baseball. I had no idea that it was in Omaha, Nebraska every year at this time, but it was. And so me and my, my family, we didn't know, and we asked somebody, well, where's the, where is the next town that we can find a hotel in? And, and they actually said that it was farther than we were actually going in Missouri. And so we decided to drive, continue driving south. Maybe we could find some place, and, and we were driving south, and if you know the Midwest, you know that there are these thunderstorms. And this, it began to pour rain, and we were driving, and, and you know, we've had a lot of tornadoes recently, and, and it was like that. There was this wind, and our car was shaking, and, and things were hitting our car, and I thought, it's so dark, I can't tell if there's a tornado coming at all, and I, I didn't know what to do. We just kept on driving. Finally, we get off of this off-ramp, and there's, there's a hotel there that has what? No vacancy. But, but it's kind of a truck stop, and there were these two semi-trucks. And we pulled in between these two semi-trucks, and we said, this is where we're going to stay for the night. But, as you know, in the Midwest, in the summer, it's what? Hot and humid. And we're in our car, and we are, are, are sweating, and we can't roll down the windows because it's pouring, pouring rain. And I have to say that we did not have great joy. Our kids were, don't touch me, don't, you know, bickering back and forth. I was sitting in the front seat, Penny in the other seat, not, getting, not being able to get comfortable, really miserable. And one thing that I do remember is the next morning was Father's Day. <laughs> and I remember Taylor especially being so glad. 
although we were miserable, right? You have this, you have this attitude and you have this feeling like, I'm irritated. We've been, we've been rubbing shoulders all night and we're irritated. And, and Taylor's like, but I want to take daddy to breakfast. <laughs> and so we went to breakfast. But, but truly the, the greatest joy that I have about that story is, is telling it again. Now, when we, when we look at our passage this morning, we know that one of the major statements that people see in this passage is that there is what? No room in the inn. But when we, when we look at that, we, don't, we, we, we have to remember that no room in the inn does not mean that God is not con- in control. God is in control when there's no room in the inn. God is in control in, in all things. And when we look at this passage, there is no room in the end, but God is in control. And God has been purposely planning the incarnation of his son. And 2,000 years ago, our creator, the creator of the universe, the eternal God, entered the world as a baby. The creator of the universe put on humanity the Lord of heaven came to, to live on earth. And it, it was a, a typical night probably in Israel. But this birth, this birth was, was unlike any other birth. Because the Savior of the world was, was coming into the world. And, and we know that, you know, not, not just finding, not finding a hotel, but we know that there are a lot of things that can, can rob us of, of joy, aren't they? aren't there? And we can let a lot of different things rob us of joy. Now, if we think about those things, I mean, we, we think about things that we're going through in our, in our world, we know that there may be some who have been suffering with, with illness. We know that some have, have even suffered and died from, from COVID. We know that there's these ongoing COVID lockdowns that we don't necessarily like. And we know that there's an ongoing uh, economic problem with inflation. We know that there is injustice in the world. And we see that over and over and over again. But if we look back in time to the birth of Christ, what we're going to find is that there are, are similar things. There are wars. There was sickness. There was poverty. There was injustice. No, it was a a world like ours with people just like us. But God had prepared a day that the Son of God would break into history, to to break into a time where he would become a man. He was was about to burst into this world, and Jesus was born. And and after his birth, regardless of all the, the poverty Regardless of all the injustice or regardless of all the wars, regardless of all the sickness that the world has today, no, when Jesus Christ came into this world, he changed everything. He changed everything. And, and we know that that's true on a spiritual level, but, but you see it at a, a societal level. You see it, he, he changed uh, economics. He changed hospitality. He changed and he brought in a health care system that people really did care for one another. He came at a time that needed a Savior. But guess what? We need a Savior now. And so what I want to see, for, see in, this, in this passage this morning are three truths to finding joy in the good news. Three truths to finding joy in the and the good news. And I, as I said earlier, this is a challenge for us because we've heard this, this passage. And so I, I want to take a little bit of twist. I'm not going to cover everything just because of time. But the first point is this, and we're going to, there's going to be three sub points in each point, but we're just going to briefly touch on each one of them. So, so don't, don't think we're going to spend an hour on each one, of those, um, each one of those. So the first one is this, we find great joy in knowing that the good news is in God's sovereign control. We find great joy in, in the good news that, that 
that it is in God's sovereign control. And, and we know that, that Luke is writing from a, a historian perspective. He, he's researching these things and he's finding. And one of the things you'll see in, in the chapter one of Luke, especially in, in Mary's uh, song, is that she rejoices in God, her Savior. And so you see this theme in, in Luke that, that there's a, a, a joy and a, and a rejoicing. And so our first point is this, that there's a joy that God ordained the manner of Christ's birth. And we see this in verse 1. Verse 1 reads, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. I just want to briefly talk about this man, Caesar Augustus. Now, God didn't just choose Mary or Joseph. He didn't just choose the, the shepherds and the angels to, to declare his glory. Caesar Augustus was, the, Augustus was the most powerful man in the world at this time. He was the emperor of the, the Roman Empire. His name originally was Gaius Octavius. He was named Caesar Augustus, but he was the grandnephew of Julius Caesar. He was known as Octavian, and at the age of 20, Julius Caesar adopted him. He adopted him, he brought him in his house, he gave him all the good things of the Roman Empire, he trained him, and at Julius Caesar's death, he wanted Caesar Augustus to become ruler, and so it was written in his will. And when, when Julius Caesar was murdered, Caesar Augustus was one of the men who went to destroy those who, who killed Julius Caesar. And after, after he became one of the rulers in, in Rome, he rose to power by conquering his rivals. One of those rivals you know by the name of Mark Anthony. And Mark Anthony uh, and Cleopatra had, had, had this relationship, and, and, and Mark Anthony was actually married to Caesar Augustus' sister. And so he was very angry. He was very angry that this was going on. So basically they ended up going to battle, and, and, and Caesar Augustus prevailed. But, but after he prevailed, he, he brought about in this world, in this Roman world, a peace that is known as the Pax Romana. Now, it was a, the Roman peace that, that the gospel would be able to spread. And, and so he conquered these areas, and so he brought forth this peace in this area. But he was a remarkable man. And it is said of him in one place that he turned bricks into gold, meaning that he was the most successful, one of the most successful emperors. And he was such a remarkable man that that he was called and it was inscribed on a stone, the Savior of the world. Was he the Savior of the world? No, what was he meant to do? He was meant to live and to die like any other mere man. But the true Savior of the world was, was born into the world that he might live a perfect life, that he might die the perfect death, that he might raise from the dead, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the true Savior. But with this man, Caesar Augustus, we see that, that God is sovereign over every pagan ruler, every pagan prince, every king or kingdom. No, and that's true of of Caesar Augustus. Proverbs 21.1 says this, the king's heart is, in a, is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And so God moves on Caesar Augustus to, to proclaim that they, they were to have a census. And this is the manner by which God uses to get Joseph and Mary to where? To Bethlehem. See, they're up in Nazareth. They're, they're not where they need to be, because we know that Micah talks about the fact that, that the Messiah would be born where? In Bethlehem. Now, Micah 5.2 says this, he says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And so that, there had to be some way that 
that God was going to, to move Joseph and Mary to, to, to get to Bethlehem. And he uses this man, to sovereignly use this man to, to pronounce a decree that every, everybody should be counted, that there should be a, a, a census. And so we see in our passage in, in verse 3, it says, And all went up to, to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And some would say, well, of course Mary and, and Joseph probably knew that they had to get to, to Bethlehem anyway. And I, and I don't... I don't think that's the case because I think what Luke is saying here, here is that God's sovereignly moving in a way to get them there. And we often think that, that every single person in Israel had this perfect understanding of the Old Testament. But, but people didn't have... How many Bibles do you have? <laughs> people didn't have those. No, I mean, they, they often went to the synagogue. Where the, that's where the Word of God was. So... It didn't necessarily mean that they knew that they needed to be in Bethlehem, but God knew. God knew that that's where Jesus would need to be born. And it says that they went because of this census. And, and God is sovereignly working through the, the proclamation of Caesar Augustus. And, you know, it was, it was so critical that, that Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem, Bethlehem, which was their own city, because the Messiah was, was prophesied to be born there. So Caesar Augustus requests the, the census possibly to know what the size of his empire was. I mean, there are a number of reasons. How many people are in my empire? I want to know how great I am. Another reason he may have had this census was uh, to raise taxes. I want to know how many people there are so I can tax them. Another purpose was possibly just to, to, to recruit an, an army of the, of the known world. No, but... But God intended it for a completely different purpose, to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. So we find that joy that God ordained the manner of Christ's birth, but, but we also find joy that God ordained the place of Christ's birth. Thirdly, though, we see the, the joy that, that God ordained the time of Christ's birth, the time of Christ's birth. Verse 6 says this, and, and while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Brothers and sisters, there is no accidental occurrences with God. God is sovereign over everything. And it has been said that there's not one rogue Adam in the universe. God is sovereign over all of these things. And if Caesar Augustus had, had somehow determined to have the census take place at another time, we know that what? Jesus wouldn't have been there, but, but he didn't. He didn't. God knew exactly when that decree would, would leave Rome, when that decree would, would get to Judea, when that decree would be carried out in Judea, when, when, how long it would take for Joseph and Mary to leave Nazareth and get to Bethlehem. He knew exactly when Mary would, would give birth. And this, this is amazing that, that God would, would know and do such a thing just to fulfill this, this one prophecy to get Joseph and Mary to, to Bethlehem. And I mentioned earlier that, that Caesar Augustus had, had brought about what is known as the Pax Romana, the, the Roman peace, which is often called, was actually often called the Pax Augusta, in tribute to this man. And it literally, it, it, he had conquered the, the known world and, and he had made this purpose to, to build roads. And, and what this did is it, it actually allowed for the gospel to go forth. And you look at the book of Acts, you don't, you don't see during the book of Acts, you don't see a lot of wars going on. And, and the apostle Paul gets to, to go from, from Judea to Samaria to the, the uttermost parts of the earth. He gets to go to Asia Minor. He gets to go to Europe. All this is because of this, this thing that has taken place, that, that the timing of, of, of Christ's birth, because it was, it was a perfect timing. In fact, 
Paul will say in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, he says this. He says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, one of the elements of, of the fullness of time in, in this world was that the, the, the gospel could go forth. God had, had purposed at this exact time to bring about the birth of his son. And so you have this one man, this, this man, Caesar Augustus, who what? Claims to be what? The savior of the world. But you have this birth of this, this child, this baby in a manger. And I like what John MacArthur had to say about this. He says, at the very time a false savior of the world was riding high on the throne of his own glory, the true savior of the world was born in obscurity. The false savior was on the world stage. He dominated it in full honor and privilege. The true savior was born without honor, without, priv without privilege, in humble obscurity. The false savior was, was sitting on the highest pinnacle of the highest throne in the dominant city of Rome. The true savior was born in a humble nondescript village of Bethlehem. The false savior made it clear who he was. The true savior couldn't even speak. I mean, what a, what a contrast between these two. And who had the most power? This baby in a manger. God in human flesh. No, and we, we find great joy in knowing that the good news is, is in God's sovereign control but not just the good news. As I said earlier, everything is in God's sovereign control. When I look back at my life, I, I, I was looking back, just thinking about my own life and how I came to Christ. And I look back at that moment, and, and I, I, I came to a place where I put my faith and trust in Christ. But before that, I look back and I see God sovereignly drawing me to, to himself. And then I look at, at my life over the last, let's see, 34 years since I've been a Christian. And I've seen God working, and I, I've, I've, I've been through trials. You know, I lost my father. I, I lost my mother. And I look back at those things, and I, and I, I see God sovereignly working. As I, as I reflect back, it, that he, was, he was doing something good in me, and so I can trust him. But not only in that, I, I see all the good things that God has done in my life. And I recognize that that's nothing because of, of, of me and what I have done. It's because of what, what God has done. I mean, I reflect back at, at where my life is today, and it's, it's simply because of the grace of God. You know, God's sovereignly moving for, for His glory. I mean, I look back at us planning this church some eight years ago, and, and I know that some can testify how hard that was. I had been at our church for, our previous church for 26 years. And I look back and I, I find a great joy of what God has done. I'm thankful for what he's done. But most of all, I'm thankful for God's sovereignty over the gospel because without it, none of us would be saved. If God had not sent his son into the world, we, we would all be damned. We'd all be lost. That brings me to my second point, and it's this. We find great joy in knowing that, that God's glory is displayed through the good news. God's glory is displayed through the good, good news. And we see this, that, that God's glory is first proclaimed by angels. Look at verse 8 of our passage. It says, And in the same region where the shepherds, where the shepherds were out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. Stop, I mean, just stop right there. They were filled with great fear. What would, what would you feel? If, a, if an angel a, a, appeared to you, or more importantly, look what it says. It says, an angel appeared to them, and the, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. It's not just that an angel. No, this is the glory of God breaking in 
right at this time that they're out in the field. Now, these angels, what they do is they proclaim the goodness and the glory of God. But if you go back and study the, the glory of God in the Old Testament, what you see is this glory is just a, a, it's a manifestation of God. We know that God is, does not have a, a physical form. He doesn't have a body. We know that he's our, the invisible God, but there are times that, that he reveals himself as, as light in the midst of darkness. And we, we see that back in Exodus chapter 33. When Moses, what, what does Moses say? He says, he asked God, God, show me your glory. God answers Moses. He says, no one can see my, my face and live. Because we're sinners, we can't stand before this holy and righteous God. And so God tells Moses, no one can see my face and live. And so you can kind of understand why these, these shepherds are fearful. The glory of God is, is showing around them. Moses has, or God has to say to Moses, my glory will pass by you. I'll, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I pass by. In Isaiah 6, this, this passage reminds me of Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is, is in the temple. He's in the temple, and he's, he's ministering there, and it says that he, he saw the, the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe was fill, uh, filled the temple, and, and that there stood seraphim, each having six wings, and, and, and these seraphim are, are calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And what happens in the temples, it starts to, to, to shake. And, and, and Isaiah says this, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost, or I'm, I am ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I mean, just like Isaiah, these shepherds are are struck with fear because God's glory is revealed. Verse 10 tells us, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I mean, isn't that the right time that you need to hear about the good news of great joy? I mean, right when you're in a place of fear, I mean, we all fear different things, don't we? But you can trust in God. You can put your faith in God. And God can give you good news of, of great joy that is for all people. It says in verse 13, And suddenly there was uh, with this angel a multitude of, uh, of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, these angels are, are proclaiming the, the glory of God, but, it, but it's in the context of the good news. They're not just proclaiming the glory of God uh, for, for any old reason, although there's plenty of reasons to, to proclaim the glory of God. Now, so you have the, the glory of God being proclaimed by these angels, but, but it has to do with the context of the good news. And so the second part of this is, that we have joy that, that God's glory is displayed in Christ himself. It says in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swallowing cloths and lying in a manger. And listen, look at the response to this statement. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of, of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest because a baby who is Savior has been born. A baby who is, who is Christ the Lord. We know that what Jeff read earlier in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says, uh, regarding Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, which, which is the, the Lord is, is salvation. For he will save his people from their sins. Or, or you'll see later on in chapter 2 of, of Luke. Simeon, it says, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in, in the presence of all the peoples. Now this glory is displayed in, in Christ. This baby who is identified as, 
Christ the Lord. And I love that one of the Christmas carols, not that we sang today, but it says this, what child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? And that's the question that, that you and I have to ask, isn't it? What child is this? Do we just see him just simply as a, a baby in a manger that, that never does anything else? What child is this? This child is the Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this, this, this child would be born in Bethlehem. This baby who would be born in obscurity. Who is this child? I mean, just think about Christ. We, we have our calendars today, right? What year is it? 2021, almost 2022. Why do we have that date? Because that's the year of our Lord. It's the year of our Lord. I mean, this child has, has made the greatest, the greatest impact on all of the earth. You know, as this child that would be born would be a Savior who is, who is Christ the Lord. When, when we think about the, that word Christ, it's, it's, the, the title, it's his title. He is, he's the Messiah. He's the, the anointed one. But he's also the King of kings and, and the Lord of lords. You know, the glory of God in, is displayed in, in Christ. And when we were studying John in, in 1 John we read in, in John chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and the Word was God. But verse 14 of chapter 1 of John says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory of God in the, in the face of Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the, the word of His power. I mean, you think about that, that this baby in this manger is, is the radiance of the glory of God. The, he is the exact imprint of His nature and He upholds the universe by His powerful word. How could that be? Well, the only way it could be is that he is both God and man. No. So these angels, we see that the glory of God is, is declared by the angels, but we also see that God's glory is, is displayed in Christ. But thirdly, we see that God's glory is displayed in us. Verse 14 says, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's a hard statement. I think many people misunderstand what, what these angels are proclaiming. But literally in the Greek is, is that these are men of his good pleasure. These are men of his good pleasure. And it's, it's a way of saying that peace on those whom God's favor rests. Peace on whom God's favor rests. Because you know, we, we could read this and we could, we could think possibly, well, God's peace rests on those people who do good. But that's not what he's talking about. He's, he's talking about him doing good to people who don't deserve it. You no, know, it's a way of saying that peace on those whom God's favor rests. And that, that is why I can say that God's glory is, is displayed in us. John MacArthur again says, the highest thing that can occur in the created universe is that God is glorified by his creatures. And that's exactly what you see the angels doing. He goes on, this is the purpose of the good news. Well, you say, well, wasn't, wasn't the good news to save sinners? He goes on, he says, the good news is to save sinners so that they can join angels in giving glory to God. See, we're not just saved for ourselves. We're, we're saved that we might give glory to God. And so we know that we do that. And I mean, as, as we sing his praises, that's, that's giving glory to God. As we, as we live out our lives, that's giving glory to God. 
Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now that's what we're, that's what we're called to do. Or Jesus will say it this, this way in Matthew 5.16. He says, let your light so shine among men that they see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. But the, so, so that's true, that there are things that we can do that, that bring glory to God, but, but I don't think that that's my point. My point is that we are glorified, we glorify God when He saves us. It's to His glory that He brings about the salvation of sinners. I mean, we, we read that. I mean, just turn over there, if you can, to, to Ephesians I'd like to, to read this, this passage in Ephesians because I think the Apostle Paul captures this so well that, that, that God is glorified in saving sinners, not because of anything that we do, but simply because of His own grace. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14 The Apostle Paul says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him, before when? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to what? According to the purpose of His will, to the praise of of His glorious grace, with which he, he has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth, Verse 11 says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. I mean, three times we, we see this, the, to the praise of His glory. When God saves sinners, he, he does it to the praise of His glory. And so we can glorify God when we come to Him in faith, when He saves us, when He redeems us. And so we find great joy in knowing that the good news is, is under God's sovereign control. We also find great joy in knowing that, that God's glory is displayed through the, the good news. But we, we have great joy when we receive that good news and proclaim it to others. I just want to touch on these, these three points rather quickly. One is this, that there's great joy when we accept the good news. And it's already been said if you're not a believer, we would encourage you to be one. That you would find salvation in, in the only Savior there is. But the, when these angels went, went away, they, they went away and they proclaimed the truth. They, there was something that they believed. I mean, when these shepherds went away, they proclaimed the truth of who Christ was. They, they wanted to go and tell somebody. In verse 15, it says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, what they did is they believed and they, they wanted to see, they wanted to make known what they have seen and heard. They were, they were excited about it. When I look back at, at my own salvation some 34 years ago, I, I look back at that, that time and I, I, I was... I was lost. You know, I was trying to find my joy and my peace in, in the things of this world. 
I was trying and I was trying and I was trying and I would try this and I would try that. And nothing was ever satisfying. And I can remember God's call on my life and basically just saying, not in an audible voice, but just clearly, Jeff, what is, what is this getting you? All these things that you're searching after, are they, are they really bringing you joy and, and peace? And I remember sitting there with a friend one Saturday night after we had had this, this party and didn't end up the way that I wanted it to end up. I just simply said to my friend, because he had been attending church, he picked me up, picked me up for church, and I, he was shocked. I went to church the next day, and I heard the gospel being proclaimed. I put my faith and trust in Christ, and God changed me. But that's true of, of any of us who were once sinners. That God has saved us. He has, he has brought us out of darkness into light. Now, we, we look at our salvation, we know that you know, we must believe, we must believe in this Savior who was born. But secondly, we see that there's a joy when we treasure the good news in our hearts. And, and, and this is, I think this is more for something of, of us who are, who are believers. It says in verse 18, he says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them, in her heart. And I, I think you could just imagine all the things that, that Mary was going through. I mean, she, just these nine months earlier, she, she had been told she's going to have a, a, a child by the Holy Spirit. Now she's, she's ridden a donkey some 95 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. She gets there and there's, there's no place for her in the inn. She has this, this baby and and certainly there's this wonder and this amazement of at all, at everything that she knows. And to top that off, these shepherds come and, and they talk to her and they, they tell her, this is what we saw. And so she, we know that there's probably some different emotions and different things she's thinking through, but it says that she treasured things. She treasured these things in her heart. She pondered them in her heart. And I think the question that we have to ask, is, do you ponder the, the gospel in your heart? Do you meditate on, on the gospel? Do you remind yourself of the gospel? You know, I think one thing is, is when we stop treasuring the good news, that's when we lose joy. When we stop treasuring the good news, we, that's when we lose joy. No, we have to remind ourselves. And one of the things you'll hear us say from the pulpit is we've got to preach the gospel to ourselves. We've got to meditate on the gospel. We've got to remind ourselves of the gospel. We, got, we have to remind ourselves that that even in our best days, we don't merit the salvation that God offers. Because then we can get on this, on this workspace. When I'm doing good, I feel what? Joy. When I'm not doing good, I don't feel joy. But when we meditate on the gospel and what Christ has done in saving sinners, we can find joy all the time. We can find joy, and, and, and what that joy does is it, it leads us to proclaim the good news to others. See, if you, if you don't have joy in the gospel, you're not going to proclaim the good news to others. But no, we have, we have good news of great joy. Verse 17 says this, and, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, but lastly, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You know, I think we often see the, the, 
The life of a, a new Christian is one of, of zeal and joy. They want to go out and share the gospel. Sadly, we think there's over time we can kind of lose that, but I, I think this is why we have to remind ourselves. We have, to, we have to remind ourselves of what Christ has done so that joy returns. David will say in, in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of my salvation. It's not that salvation is left, it's, but we want, to, we want that joy of salvation restored in us that we might be called to proclaim the truth of God's gospel to others. You know, years ago, I had a, a family member, actually two family members, and one family member had, had begun attending a church, and another family member wanted to go to them with them to church. And I think that you're probably going to find this hard to believe. But the one family member who was going to church actually said, that, this is my thing, and didn't take the, fam the other family member. My question is, that, did that family member have joy in their heart? No. All the wrong motives, all the wrong reasons. No. No, if we have, if we have joy because of what Christ has done in saving us, we're going to have a desire to proclaim the gospel. We're going to have a desire. And so my admonishment to us is this, that, that find that joy. If you don't have that joy in the gospel, then, then seek God, pray, ask God, God, restore unto me joy of my salvation. And if you don't have the joy because you're not a believer, my encouragement to you is is to put your faith and trust in Christ because he came into the world to save sinners. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the, the good news of, of great joy that is for all peoples. Lord, we thank you for your son who was born in the city of David, who is, a, who is the Savior, Christ the Lord. Lord, it's because of him that we are here to, to proclaim his glory and his goodness. Lord, we just thank you for your glorious grace. In Jesus' name, amen.